the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is amazing just how much we can look like a believer in Jesus and yet still fall short of it all. We'll take a look at a prime example coming up next. Jesus even said in Matthew that there are many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these amazing things? And he's going to go, I never knew you. It can be easy to be deceived, and there is a false assurance. And Judas is a prime example of this. As close as he is to Jesus, as much time as he has spent with the very God of this universe, he still falls short. There are warnings for us in the next two programs. Join us as we return to John 13, verses 1 through 17, the life of Judas. Here's Pastor Phil in today's program. I want to be looking at the life of Judas. Uh, we're in the upper room, John 13, and Christ announces that Judas is going to betray him. And so I want us to have a little study on what betrayal involves and looks like. And if you look at John 13, verse 2, it says the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. He'd already worked out a deal before the upper room. Luke 22 tells us that. They had arranged terms and the issue was in Luke 22 that he did not want to turn Christ over where there was a crowd because they were afraid that there'd be mob violence or a riot because of the popularity of Christ. But he's already struck a deal to sell Christ out, already agreed on terms. So we come into this upper room where Christ is going to love his men to the utmost. He'll be able to do no more for them than to take the towel, to stoop and wash their feet. He'll go to the cross tomorrow. But this night, he can do nothing greater than a love that will stoop to serve failing men. And he does that. But in the midst of such great love, there is tragedy and a, a horrific crime being plotted and planned. A betrayer is in the room. The devil shows up in the room. And we've got a man like Peter that is going to deny his Lord. It's an interesting thing. We'll, when we get to Peter, we'll look at him in detail. But here's two men, Judas and Peter. Both fail miserably. One is an unsaved man around all the right reasons, the right person, the right information, but remained unsaved under all that exposure to Christ. Here is a Peter who fails miserably, but is saved. The one man is calculating he, uh, he's planned his rebellion all the way. Uh, it's been going on for months in his heart so that it's no secret that he's going to do it. But it comes out of nowhere, it seems like. But here's a Peter who boldly says, I will never deny you, never plans to fail, and fails miserably. One is redeemable. 
one can reverse his choice. The other never got a chance to reverse a wrong decision. Some choices are irreversible. One man plunges into a potter's field and his intestines splash on the ground as he probably hung himself on a tree that when he jumped, some scholars believe the tree must have broken because Acts says his intestines went all over on the ground. So maybe the limb broke and he hung himself and he also scattered his insides. Peter will have an interview with Christ in which he will restore him back to the place he ought to be. It is a very, very, uh, it is almost, does not seem possible that you can really betray God. How can you really sell out the creator? How can you sell out God? Well, you see, it started before Judas ever was born. It started back in eternity sometimes. Satan, who was called Lucifer, son of the morning, one day said, I am tired of having God over me in any fashion. And according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, he convinced one-third of the spirit beings in all the universe Make me your God. Make me your boss. I'm going to sell out God. And he betrayed God. He who guarded God's throne. He who was the covering cherub. Think of it as the bodyguard. Or the one who cleared those spirit beings who wanted to gain access to God. They had to go through Satan himself. And right next to the throne. You can't get any closer to God than Lucifer got. You won't ever see more of God than Lucifer saw. But betrayal was in his heart and he sold out him who created him. He sold out him who blessed him. He sold out him who gave him a lofty position. Betrayal means to deliver into the hands of the enemy. It means to be false and disloyal. It means to intentionally sell out. And so Satan sold out God and he was very successful. Demons as we know them. Where did demons come from? Demons are those spirit beings that chose to sell out God and by the plot of Satan. Well, Satan was so good at that plot and felt so uh, successful, he began to work on Adam and Eve. And the tragic story of Genesis is he was able to get them to betray God. Perfect environment, perfect bodies, perfect couple, no sin, no uh, ghettos, no seductive temptations. And a serpent shows up and his offer is, how would you like to be your own God? How would you like to be your own man without checking with God? Set your own rules, set your own future. Eve bought it quickly. She bought the lie. She was thoroughly deceived according to 1 Timothy 2. Adam is now having to make a choice. Adam sees, I've lost her. He can see something has happened. And the bargaining is still going on. Satan is talking. Why don't you be your own God, by the way? If you don't choose to do it my way, you will have lost her forever too. And so under the pressure, even an unfallen man says... I could betray God in a moment. Just tell me I'll be a God and give me the person I love. I could sell God quickly. And so we come to Judas, 
A man that the Bible says, as we look at him, that let's look at his character. Here is a man, according to the Word of God, who was given the privileged position of an apostle. Matthew 10, he was chosen to be one of the 12. Think of all the people Christ could have chosen. He chooses one that proves to be a devil. He chooses one that uh, will not let Christ change him. And he will play the role so successfully that even in the upper room, nobody is suspicious that it is him, the betrayer. Let's pick up verse 18 of John 13. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And the Hebrew word has the concept, I'm getting ready to give you a meal of friendship and intimacy. And you put your foot in my face. It's just, you stop me in the face. In the midst of intimacy, favored status, favored position, and trust. In the midst of that, in the face. According to Psalms 55, Christ says, Oh, that it had been an enemy that sold me out. Oh, that it was not someone so close. Someone I went up to worship with. Someone I had conversation with God. Someone that I had great interchange with. But it was you, my peculiar friend, who put your heel in my face, even as the heel of the serpent fell on Adam and Eve. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Look at how successful Judas has been. Nobody suspects it's him. They're wondering if it's them. They they want to know who could it be. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Now, we're used to seeing this Last Supper scene. We look at Leonardo da Vinci's picture, don't we? And we see them, Christ, six men, six men. This is not the way it was. They were in a circle, like a U, really. They're leaning into the meal. Here's Christ. John leans his head back, as it were, and can nearly lay his head on Christ's bosom. So he's there, Peter's somewhere, and he motions to John, get the info, find out, you're close. So Jesus is there, John is there, and Judas is here, and somebody that is the favored position at the table. Christ has let Judas right, and so Christ could put his head back on the chest of Judas, so that when he tells him, take the sop, he's right there. And then he could tell John who it is, So that's how they're seated at the meal. Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus. Now see the picture? John's here. He's leaning back. Who is it, Lord? Who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread 
when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. He took full control. He's been working on him all the way, but now it's complete abandonment. Satan is in total charge of him now. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. They, the other men didn't know. They still they haven't got a clue that a betrayal is in process. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. His character is a man that was given a privileged position of an apostle. Privileged for three and a half years to eat with, sleep out with, observe everything the God-man did in his ministry. He saw the multitude fed. He saw him walk on the water. He saw miracle after miracle. He actually was able to see, handle, and observe the word of life. What an opportunity in history to be that close to God, to observe that much. But perversity was controlling his heart. In his heart, he was an unchanged man. But he had to do a good job of acting to fake everybody out. He could never let them know what he really was. So perversity is in his heart. Look at John 6, if you will. Look at this perversity that pops up in him. Jesus has fed the multitude with the loaves and the fishes. And after he fed them, the crowd left. It's easy to get a crowd if you feed them. The issue was, do you want a Lord? And many didn't want a Lord. They wanted a free meal. So Christ begins to tell them that he's the true bread from heaven. And he says in verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They followed for miracles, loaves, and, but they weren't truly saved. They were temporary followers. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Look at his heart once again in chapter 12. The day before he goes to the upper room, he pays a visit to the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. He raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. So he pays a visit to his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And while he's there, Mary gets a little carried away in her love for the Lord. And uh, she just takes out a bottle of perfume, spignard, valued at a year's worth of wages. She had long hair. And she begins to adore this Christ, the one who raised her brother from the dead, the one who transformed her life. 
In worship, you know, you abandon the cost. Nothing's too good for someone you love. Nothing's too good. And so, she takes this perfume, she pours it out on him. She starts drying his feet with the hair of her head. You think it would be a worship service. But the treasurer is there. Not reflecting on ours at all, please. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, not only a devil, but a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. What's his character? Uh, He's got perversity of heart. He doesn't value Christ. He doesn't uh, value him at all. It's an interesting dynamic. He saw what was poured out on Christ as an act of worship to be a waste of resources. You can often find out what people think about God when you find out how much money they're willing to spend on him. If it's for them, nothing's too good. If it's for God, they immediately become frugal. If we were building Solomon's temple, we would have built it out of wood, hay, and straw. God said, I want one built out of silver and gold and precious stones. I want all the nations in the world to know I've got a temple like no other temple's ever been built because I'm a worthy God. I'm worthy of the best Israel can give me. But there was something working in his heart called greed. He loved money more than the Savior. McLaren, Alexander McLaren, a great preacher of another day, said, A hundred critics who do not do much for the poor themselves will discuss the waste of money in religious enterprises and smile condescendingly at the enthusiasts who are so unpractical. But love knows its own meaning and need not be abashed by the censure of the unloving. Christ said in the other Gospels, wherever this Gospel is preached, I want this act that Mary did to be recorded. I don't want anyone to forget what she did. She abandoned herself in love and devotion to me days before my death. I want the world to know her name. I want them to know her act. I want them to know what she gave because she thought I was worth it. It revealed the character of Judas to be a thief. And it revealed the character of Mary to be a worshiper. Mary, the type of love which delights to give its best. And Judas, the type of selfishness which is only eager to get. He was a thief and a devil and an apostle. Personal rejection. We find him in this upper room that he, Christ says, he refuses to have his feet washed. And he went to a deeper meaning because he said everyone is clean in this room except one. He was personally rejecting Christ. He did not want Christ to cleanse him. He only wanted to play the role of a religious man. What all his motives were, we don't know, but the devil took hold of him. He sold out Christ. He loved money. 
He played the role so well that nobody knew. James Boyce says three things we ought to learn from this example. Number one is, you can live around a good example and never know God. Don't tell me Christ was hypocritical. Don't tell me he didn't see the real thing. You can't see it better. You can never get more exposure. Think of it, living and running with the Son of God for three and a half years, the world's greatest model, the greatest example, God in flesh before him, and yet a good example doesn't mean you get saved. You can have the best mama in the world, the best dad in the world, the best church in the world, the best influences. You must be born again. Just good examples are not enough. Don't be telling me all the hypocrites in the church. I know more hypocrites than you do. God saves hypocrites. You may not be a hypocrite, but you can still miss God. I see somebody, well, I'm too honest to be a Christian. Oh, no, you're not. The way and the truth and the life, he hung around. But being around a good church, a good family, a good influence, a good example, example is not good enough to save you. Second thing I think we need to note about it is we don't always know who's really saved. Now, when I started this church uh, 28 years ago now, I started real strong in the security of the believer. I still believe it. But I was, I think when I look back, I was a little sloppy. Just about, and those, in those days, I, this was kind of my attitude in a way. If you came and you told me, I'm saved, my first response would be, well, praise the Lord. And if you started robbing banks a little bit and, you know, start living with your girlfriend or something, I said, well, they're carnal. They're just carnal. You know, out there backslid a little bit. Because you know, once you're saved, you can never lose it. You know, once you're saved, you just never can lose it. So, hey, that must be carnal. They're just living like the old crowd, but ah, they're safe. Now, 27 years later, you're all suspicious of what I've changed my theology. <laughs> Once you're saved, you're always saved. And I'm inclined to believe what the Bible says, except for the very good deceiver and the very good betrayer and the very, very good hypocrite, you can normally tell who's been saved by the way they live. And so now when people come to me, this is my response, and some don't want to come to me. Because they'll say to me, I'm saved, and you've got to believe me. I say, we'll see. My mother's from Missouri, the show-me state. That's right, Joplin. Say, you say it, because there's a crowd that, as I read this Bible, they can say, Lord, Lord, as good as anybody. But Christ says, I don't know you. Sin didn't break out in a bar room. It broke out in the third heaven. Sin didn't start in a brothel. It started with Satan in the very throne room. And sin didn't start on the earth in a ghetto. It started in paradise. We'll see by your walk. I don't believe half of what I hear in these professions. You think, oh, he didn't believe security. I believe security because the Bible teaches it. But I don't believe God makes you secure in sin. 
I believe God saves people and leads them out. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? Another note as we close out our time today, while Pastor Phil is the pastor emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we are still very much a part of this body. And if you are looking for a church, we would invite you to join us. Now, we know that this current crisis has us all sequestered away. So you can join us at valleybible.org, where we stream our services. Again, valleybible.org. And then, as we find ourselves released from this quarantine, we will be meeting together here in Hercules. And for information, directions, and details, again, visit valleybible.org. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 